This is going to be a sermon on the Word, about the Word, only the Word. What a privilege to come and to speak about our devotion to the Apostles' teaching. Remember last week we talked about devotion. Devotion describes the commitment of the believers in the way to four foundations of faith. This is the first, and the first not only in order, but in preeminence of those four. They're right above you. It's not hard to see. There's one up here. The apostles' teaching, and then fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. As I read through this passage in Acts for the, probably the 50th time, over the last few weeks, I, it dawned on me that all the rest is fleshing out those four pillars. So Mark helped us see last week our devotion, and he specifically focused on our devotion to God. Loving God, or two weeks ago Mark said that, and then we we worked through it last week, how to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, all of our, our being, everything about us. That leads right into the teaching of the apostles, but not just some theoretical view of the teaching of the apostles, but it is modified by that word devotion. So devotion to the teaching of the apostles. So let's break that down first. The apostles. That's a unique office. Dave is not an apostle. Mark's not an apostle. Uh, Jerry's not an apostle. Neither Jerry. Um, it is a unique office held by the few, probably the least number of people in the history of, of offices in, in mankind. It was held by 12, 13, you could say, by one who disqualified himself. But they were the 12 that Jesus commissioned to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They had spent years of their life with Jesus, or in the case of Paul, had come to the gospel through the direct intervention of Jesus Christ himself. Four of them wrote their teaching in books, Matthew, John, Peter, and Paul. Other books were written by their associates, Mark, Luke, James, and Jude. And those also interviewed eyewitnesses. I'm not going to spend time on this, but I encourage you to look into the eyewitness basis of the Gospels. Um, but let's focus in one more moment on devotion. I will do my best to pronounce this, but in the Greek text, that strong word translated devoted, proskareterio, means hold fast to something, continue or persevere in something. They held fast to the apostles' teaching. Um, we were on the river yesterday, and Joshua got in a little deep, and he was holding fast 
to me. Um, Holding fast to the apostles' teaching is like that. They continued and persevered. So what was the apostles' teaching? Are we talking only about the teaching of the apostles and their, their associates? Does it compromise only, comprise only the teaching of the New Testament? Well, there is no better place to go than go back to our friend Peter. After reading through 1 Peter, I don't know about you, but I feel like I know him a little better. And no apostle, no less than Peter himself, tells us about the apostles' teaching. So let's, let's read from Peter. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. As I began to work through this sermon on the authority of the Word of God, it became clear that the Word is the only authority on the Word. When you write a research paper, you have a whole bibliography, and you cite other authorities in your bibliography. I'll be citing no other sources. And if that's a problem for you, well, that's a problem. The Word of God is the only reference on itself It stands alone. So I immediately assured, assumed, that New Life Church is great at this devotion. After all, we just said, thanks be to God, this is the Word of God. We place the Word in preeminence. It seems to be one of the first and most important pillars of our church. Of course we're devoted to the Word. Or are we? Is there something or is it possible 
that our devotion to the Word is incomplete or lacking in some way. I pray that you and I will meditate on that over the next couple of weeks. What does this mean? So let's look at three areas of devotion. There will be three parts of my sermon. They are these. Why the Word has ultimate authority. The Word is the best foundation for our life. And then, how does that devotion to the Word work out in our lives and in our church? Let's start with that one. Why the Word has ultimate authority. Second Peter was written in a response to false teachers. I am not going to spend time on false teachers today. But I do want you to realize that all of this passage is written in Peter's direct response to false teachers that were seducing. And there's a, there's a reason I choose that word. They were seducing believers away. In chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Peter says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. In other words, don't listen to them. But, next verse, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In his whole point, instead of listening to them, listen to this. Listen to what God has spoken to us. So now we're going to talk about how has God spoken to us. I see a few sources of God's Word. First of all, eyewitnesses. Peter speaks with the authority of one who spent well over three years of his life with our Lord and Savior. Eyewitnesses. He says we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He takes one of the high points, right? The mountain of transfiguration. We heard the voice out of the cloud. I wanted to build a little temple house there. All of that stuff, right? But they also saw him. They ate with him. They, they camped with him. They lived right next to him. They saw him at his worst and his best. They know him. Peter, John, and Peter, Paul, John, and Peter saw him, and Luke interviewed the eyewitnesses. He then says, just in case you're thinking about this, and some of the false teachers had been saying this, and this is some of the false teaching that dwells in our culture today, the historical Jesus. Not that Jesus that's in the Word. Well, let's talk about the historical Jesus. He says, we did not follow clear, cleverly devised stories. These are not legends. It's not hearsay. Jesus himself speaks to us in the New Testament. Well, perfect. We got the New Testament. And you'd think that that New Testament makes the Old Testament obsolete, right? Jesus is the Son of God. He spoke with the direct authority of God. Weren't those Old Testament prophets just... Human beings? They didn't really speak the same authority, did they? Mm, not so fast. P- 
Peter emphatically states that this is not the case. He says the message of the prophets, you have to understand what he means by that. He means all the way back to Moses. He means all of that is completely reliable, and you do well to pay attention to it. Throughout the more than two centuries of the Christian church, Christians have always interpreted the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. But we didn't throw it out. It is like reading the entire novel, and you know how things turn out. And sometimes you go back to the beginning and go, oh yeah, that's why that was important. It throws an entirely different light on the beginning. So the New Testament illuminates the Old Testament. But, but hear me. Peter is saying it is every bit as reliable as the New Testament. In verses 20 and 21, though, I want you to see something very remarkable. He talks about the prophets. And he says, no prophecy of Scripture came about on the prophet's own interpretation. What does that mean? Well, they didn't make it up. You know how sometimes you'll look at a painting or a song and we'll say, what in the world did Queen have in mind when they wrote Bohemian Rhapsody? I have no idea. But we ask ourselves, what did Tolkien mean when he wrote The Lord of the Rings? What did Picasso think when he drew woman ascending a staircase? We are asking for the author's or the artist's interpretation. Eh, that's not what we're talking about here. The interpretation was not theirs. It was not in the will of men. Though they were human, they spoke from God. Beloved, God produced people who had been prepared their entire life to result in them writing exactly what he wanted them to write. Every word. So now we have the complete authority, the old and the New Testament. Paul tells us of the authority of the entire word. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He didn't say God helped them write it. God inspired them every once in a while. He said it is God-breathed. It is as if God's words were being breathed through them. Write this down if you're taking notes. What Scripture says, God says. So this is not just Peter or Paul's view. It's our Lord's view as well. Let's hear from him a little bit on the authority of the Word of God. Bear with me. This moves fast. In Matthew 19, Jesus is talking about marriage. And if you've been to any Christian wedding, you've heard this. He quotes a phrase from Genesis 2. What man is joined together, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Okay? But what's interesting about that comment is that it's almost an editorial comment by Moses. It's this aside. And you could almost think, well, that's Moses. 
commenting, but Jesus says it's God's words. Every letter of the Bible is inspired. All of Scripture is true, and it will be fulfilled. Jesus says in Matthew 5, he takes these obscure words, jots and tittles. What in the world is a jot and tittle? He says, not a jot or tittle of the Scripture will pass away until all is fulfilled. Well, a jot is the smallest of the Hebrew letters, and a tittle is a part of the Hebrew letter. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He is saying, it's that important. None of it's going to end until it's all fulfilled. The very now, I want you to realize that the very foundation of Jesus' life was the Word. When assaulted by the devil, what were the first words out of his mouth? Well, in the Greek, I can't pronounce it, but it's actually one word. It is written. You notice Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't say, wait a minute, devil. Now that tower of the temple is really high. No, he said, it is written. He quotes the Bible to Satan. When he was under assault, he did not rely on his own wisdom or strength. He's the son of God. And he didn't rely on his own wisdom or strength. He went straight to the Word of God, and he submitted to the authority of the Word of God. Wait a minute, the authority? How did Jesus submit to the authority of the Word of God? How many times, as we read through the Gospels, did we hear, this was done, that Scripture might be fulfilled? I'm going to give you a couple. In the garden, he says, hey, Peter, put your sword away. I could call 12 legions of angels. But then how would the Scripture be fulfilled? He based every action on the word. Dying on the cross even, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting from the word. Jesus did not just have an abstract belief in the divine authority of Scripture. Hear this. It was the operating principle of his entire life. He faced everything in life with the Scripture. He built the foundation of his life on the Scripture. He had full confidence in every letter of it. Why should we trust the authority of the Word? Jesus, Peter, Paul, they proclaim its complete and ultimate authority. So now our second point. What do we base our life on? The Word is the best foundation for our life. Hey, 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 Western culture tells you, you don't have to have an authority for your life. You don't have to listen to anyone. You're the master of your soul. No one can tell you what to do. But this text tells us, you will do well to pay attention to it. as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawn and dawns and the morning star arises in our hearts. Our hearts are infected. We are infected by the world and the cultures of the world and everything around it. And because of that, there's a darkness 
in this world and to some extent in our, in our own hearts. Only Scripture can show us how to live in that dark place. Let's go with that idea of you being your own authority. I'm, I'm going to argue to you it's something of an illusion. My authority can be me. But actually, even that, even at that point, we're all influenced by the world around us. We even base what we wear on what everyone else wears. We don't dress in loinskins because our culture tells us, well, maybe that's not the right way to dress for work. What we are actually controlled by a number of things. Our culture, people around us that validate us, our feelings. But when we choose to follow that, we substitute something in the place of God's Word. And it's not as good as the Bible. Let's just take one of those. My authority can be my own feelings. I'm doing what feels right to me. Or the God I like to believe in. Well, the problem is that God doesn't exist. But your feelings can be your authority, right? You can trust your feelings. Let's, let's think about that. How many of you would want to, except for some of you who are younger than this, how many of you would trust the 20-year-old version of yourself to make decisions for you right now? Not me. How about the 13-year-old you? How about the 5-year-old you? Why not? You've grown and matured. You are not the person you, you were then. And you realize that. So let's turn that on ourselves now. Wait a minute. How do you trust your feelings now? Maybe your 85-year-old self will look back at you and say, man, Andrew, you were an idiot when you were 56. You can't be your own authority. You and I need the Word of God. That's why we need the authority of the very Word of God in our life. But there's good news. It is not a slavery... It is liberation. There's a lot of liberation that's being talked about in our culture today. But this is true liberation. You see, it doesn't matter what the culture tells you or what others think. It only matters what God thinks. It is also not obsolete. It is the only thing we can base our life on that will not be obsolete in 10, 50, or 100 years. Have you ever thought about how our grandfather's generation looks a little bit backwards to us? Well, you know, they believed in eugenics back then. We're much more advanced. Have you ever thought about the fact that our grandchildren will laugh at us? There will be things about our culture. They will say, wow. Grandpa's generation was really backwards. Why is that? Because things change. 
I just got reading, done reading a few books by St. Augustine, by St. Augustine, and um, I knew Ross would get me on that. <laughs> the city is Augustine, the saint is Augustine. He wrote Confessions in the 4th century. Why do you care about that? Well, it's a great book. He also wrote City of God. But when I read Augustine, I recognize that he knew the same God I know. He is, in fact, a brother in Christ. Four centuries after Christ, I have affinity with him. I've never met C.S. Lewis. He died before I was born. And yet, when I read Surprised by Joy, I know he was converted undeniably from the core of his being to save the, sir, the same Christ as I do. All beliefs or opinions contrary to the word of God are gone or will be gone. Only the word will stand. Because the Bible is the source of all wisdom. Jerry and Muriel got a new car. And it comes with an owner's manual. Now, Jerry and Muriel can decide, I'm going to change the oil when I want to change the oil. That's so restrictive. I'm not going to use that weight of oil. This is cheaper. But they have this owner's manual. It tells them how to maintain the car. It doesn't restrict how you use your car. It is the distilled wisdom of the builders of those car, of that car, for you to run it and to keep it in good condition for its longest term of service. Sometimes going to be expensive and it'll probably be inconvenient. But in the long run, it's best for the car. And by extension, you, unless you want to buy a new one in a few years. That's what the Bible is. It is the distilled wisdom of our maker and creator. He wants, to hear, he wants you to hear from him. And this is the God who created you. He's spoken through the apostles and the prophets of the Old and New Testament. And there will be times when what the Bible tells you to do will be costly and difficult. and You may suffer for it. But in the long run, it is consummate wisdom. It is wisdom from God himself. It is the only source of our authority. My last point. How does this devotion to the Word work out in our lives and in New Life Church? Well, first of all, it is good news. Because it is deeply personal. J.I. Packer, I will paraphrase him here, said the word is an instrument of fellowship. Let me hear that again. The word is an instrument of fellowship. God created us to walk forever in a love relationship with him. But you can only have a love relationship between parties who know each other deeply and intimately. Well, one side already knows us. God, our maker, knows all about us before we even know ourselves. But we know almost nothing about him unless he tells us. 
He sent his word as much to court us as to instruct us. That is the intimacy of the fellowship that he wants with you and I. But you must submit to his authority before you can know him personally. You see, if I'm in rebellion, I don't have a love relationship with the being I'm in rebellion against. How does this work out? I see three ways, and ironically, they go back to last week. It is through our will, it is through our heart, and through our practice. The will. My will is strong. I hope yours is not as strong as mine, but mine is strong. And I realize that I have to make a choice at some point. If the Bible is the authority, I need to obey it even though I don't want to. Raising children is interesting. And sometimes we tell our children, don't do this because it can kill you. No matter how much they desire to do it, we tell them, don't do it. And when they try to do it, we don't let them. We as parents have far more wisdom than toddlers, at least we hope, right? But if you compare that to God, how much greater is God's wisdom than ours? Infinitely more. The word says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows what's best for me. And if we expect our children to do what we tell them, even though they don't understand, how much more can we do this with God? The will. No matter what my feelings say, I need to do what's right. I need to do what he's called me to. Now the heart. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. Which heart? Whose heart? My heart. My heart. Your heart. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. It pierces me. It discerns my motives. It shows me my motives when I don't want to face my motives. It addresses the attitudes of my heart. And the truth of God must impact my heart. It, take the image of a hard heart. That's all over the word, right? Back in the day, the way a king would prove that something came from him is he would take some wax and he would take this ring that only he had and he would take that ring and he would imprint the wax with it. Imagine if the king didn't heat up the wax. What's going to happen to the wax when it meets the ring? Crack. 
uh, nothing. It's like a hard heart. But when he softened it with fire, and he places his ring in it, an indelible impression, well, not indelible, you can heat it up again, but an impression is formed. That's like our hearts. God's word needs to impact our hearts so that it softens us. I want you to hear something else. In all religions, we have the only God who went under authority. Think about that. Allah does not go under anyone's authority. Only the God that we serve went under authority. He submitted to his parents. He went under the authority of the word. He went under the authority of the Romans. And he went under the authority of his father, even to the point of death. Not my will, but yours be done. Why? For us. He did it to redeem us. This is an authority that you can trust. It is an authority worthy of putting your entire life foundation on. No one has ever give, loved you like Jesus Christ. No one has ever given up what he's given up. He is the only authority that you should really trust. That's how the authority of the Word of God should impact your heart. Last is practice. Believe it or not, that's why you're here today. That's why you're here. That's why you came. You may not realize that, but that's why you're here. Peter says in verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth, it is right to refresh your memory. Some of you have heard this all your life. You still need to hear it. You constantly need to hear it. My sermon is an effort to remind you of the truth. Our hearts are hard. We continually need to be reminded of God's love. We come, we hear about how much He loves us. It relieves our heart, makes us less anxious. We trust and, and we're confident. And, and then a few hours later... We aren't. We've forgotten it. We need to hear it again. It is so important to Peter that he states it again in his second letter. In chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. We need to be reminded, constantly reminded. We need to hear the word. We need the sacraments. We need worship. We need to sing in worship. We need to pray in worship. We need daily Bible indwelling and reading and imbibing and meditating. It's a regular diet. It's your spiritual carb reduction plan. It's your spiritual paleo diet. And I don't mean to diminish it by making that sort of a comparison. But it is 
what we need. We need to live and abide in this so that the word will continue to work in our hearts. Do we, both individually and as New Life Church, practice this devotion to the word? I can tell you some of what I've been convicted on. I grew up with intellectual assent to the word. My dad used to say it takes, it's got to go this 18 inches from your head to your heart. And there's deep truth to that. It's not just intellectual assent. Does it permeate our beings and our very reason for coming together? Notice this part of the passage. Peter calls the word right here a light shining in a dark place. We are the keepers of that flame. We live in a dark place. Not only do we need that light for our path, we need to hold the light and hold it high. But one day, one day, oh glorious day, the day will dawn, the morning star will rise in our hearts. On that day, we will be in the presence of him who called us for his own. On that day, believe it or not, we won't need the word any longer because the word himself will be with us. We, the word says we will know him for we will see him as he is. We will be one in a whole different way. Jesus Christ came to your life to tell you that someday you will be resurrected. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But during the deep darkness of this time, we can live in the light of His Word. Its promises will come true. It will all be fulfilled. We can rest in knowing that someday all tears will be wiped away. All brokenness and death will be forever gone. Um, this is my father's Bible. And I noticed that it was given to him when my mother was with a child. On February 21st of 1964. So, there's a lot of notes there. But I bring it here as an uh, I said I wouldn't do this, Ian. Um, as an example of what it means to be devoted to the word. I even got one of the points of my sermon out of it. It is devotion. On every page. It is a uh, version, hardly anybody reads anymore. It's a Schofield Bible reference edition, King James Version, the same one that Paul had. Um, but it is evidence of a devoted life to the Word. 
the reason I show it to you is so it's one more picture of what that means. I'm going to tell you what I told you. The word has ultimate authority. Every piece of it. The word's authority is the best foundation for you. Nothing else will remain. Everything else will fall. And the word will stand. And brothers and sisters, the authority of the word works in our lives both in our lives individually and our lives together, in our will, in our heart, and in our practice. That is devotion to the apostles' teaching. May this be true of our lives. Let's pray. Your word is a light unto my path. And it is the path for my life. Oh God, we thank you for speaking to us over centuries with intent and with purpose to reveal to us Yourself. We ask, Lord, that You will continue to reveal Yourself to us every day and in Your fullness of revelation. Bless Your Word. May it go forth in our lives and in our community with power and authority. May we be servants of and keepers of the light. In your name, amen. It is sweet.